0: No.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelts. Welcome to PreneurCast.
0: Yeah, business cards being swapped, beers being drunk. Can I say a nasty word? Can I say procrastination? With Pete Williams and Dom Goucher. How well did that go down? We can talk about that entire thing in a very another rant and soapbox episode if we want to. Visit us online at PreneurMarketing.com. Hello, 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 everybody. Pete Williams here with, as always, Dom Goucher. How are you, mate? I'm all right. I must say, I'm not on
2: full form this week, um, but it is our
0: 150th episode, so I thought I'd make a showing. Absolutely, got to pull the socks up and come into those sort of party events. 150, mate. It's been what four and a bit years. I think we've been doing the show, which is uh, huge. That's
2: pretty, pretty, pretty mean achievement for consistency and persistency. I would say so.
0: Mm, absolutely. And there's been a lot of other podcasts come and go in that time, but we're still here giving you, I was about to say wisdom, but I'm really not sure if that's the right word to use. But good conversations, bad jokes, and hopefully a little bit of uh, lessons you can swipe from the projects that we're doing and done in our businesses uh, to improve your businesses. That's the whole point of PreneurCast. So, uh Thank you, everybody. And uh, for those who have emailed in already and left comments on various places on the blog at PreneurMarketing.com, on iTunes, or whatever podcast platform it is that you use, we really do appreciate each and every one of you who listen to the show. So thank you for taking the time to comment. And if you've uh, got a little bit of time up your sleeve right now while you listen to this, we would love a comment from you as well.
2: Indeed, although I would stick with the wisdom comment as well, Pete. Occasionally, we do uh, you do drop some pearls. Sir. <laughs> Thank you. Um, speaking of that, uh, folks, I hope you'll forgive us, but I am really not well this week. Um, so, Pete and I agreed to pull forward one of Pete's ever increasing backlog now of uh, awesome conversations with uh, entrepreneurs and uh, well-known figures around the world. Um, so, that just to just to kind of round things out now. Pete, this is actually one of your Ernst & Young alumni,
0: isn't it? Yeah. So obviously, uh, a few years ago, I was very lucky to be one of the uh, finalists in the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards for um, the telco business that obviously I'm involved with. And um, I'm still part of that fraternity, I guess you would call it. And uh, this uh, gentleman for today's conversation, Alec is a uh, alumni. He went through the program this year and did exceptionally well. Uh, got a little bit further down the track than I did in terms of winning awards, but um, his business design crowd is a, a fantastic platform that is all about um, crowdsourcing. I guess you'd call it design work. So it's one of those platforms where you go out and you say, "Look, I need a logo designed, or I need a." Um, Book cover designed or a banner design, whatever it might be, and you can put your description up there about the uh, project and what you're after. And then designers from all around the world will do spec work. They'll come on and say, "Look, here's a here's my crack. Here's my attempt at what you're after." Uh, and then obviously you have a huge array of um, options to choose from, and you know pick the one you want to use to uh, actually go go to, go live with on your various projects. Uh, and it's a fantastic platform. There's, there's a few others around, and funnily enough, they all seem to have come out of Australia, which is very unique. So it's a really good conversation to have with Alec to sort of see how he grew his platform to be one of the largest in the world. Uh, and in fact, I've actually been using it myself as a uh, a platform in the last couple of weeks since I originally spoke um, with Alec, because with a uh, new project we're working on, Ear Hero Sports. If you're part of the newsletter. Group at Preneur you're on the newsletter. You obviously get noise reduction and things like that. If you haven't, make sure you go and subscribe to the newsletter. It's a, it's nothing pitch festy or anything like that. Um, but I talk about one of the projects we've recently started, earherosports.com.au. sports.com.au. So, as part of that, I need some web banners designed and things like that. So, I actually have used Design Crowd the last two weeks and literally spent about an hour last night giving feedback to various designers who have put up um, attempts uh, and some fantastic attempts, I should say for banner designs um, for projects that we're doing around Ear Hero Sports. So, um, we are practicing what we preach, paying full tote odds, didn't get any discount, didn't even ask for a discount, which is a bit stupid of me, to be honest, but um, did that and uh, getting some fantastic results. So, if you do have design work needed, whether it's book covers or banner ads or logos or anything in between, I highly, highly recommend you check out places like Design Crowd. If you're not familiar with it, we talk a lot about the platform, the pros, the cons, how to get good results out of it, uh, and more importantly, how Alec bootstrapped and built his business, which is huge. And there's definitely some lessons in that for you to grow your business as well.
2: Now, the important thing here, folks, if you're a new listener, um, if you're an existing listener and, and, hey, if you've been with us since episode one, thank you. Thank you, everyone, um, regular or not, for listening in. Um, what we try and do with all these conversations is we try specifically Pete who's an awesome conversationalist uh, tries to pull out unexpected content content from these people that you know beyond above and beyond these people might want to pimp their product which by the way Alec Alex doesn't but know we're both Pete and I' are both behind design crowd um, but there's an awful lot of extra stuff in here but you know Alec went through a real startup Sequence, mm. including the initial failure. Listen out for that, by the way. Everyone fails; failure is learning. Um, you know, and he talks about all kinds of things that we talk about regularly on the show. You know, he's gone through um, getting funding, building a mastermind team of sorts. Um, he talks about doing that. You know, he talked about growing the business. Some of the really important lessons that he learned, both from his failures and from the growth of the business, and from that mastermind team. So again. As we always say, don't just because you might not be interested in design, although, hey, really if you're not, you should be, um, You know, if you're not interested in a core topic, there's still an awful lot of business and marketing lessons to learn from these conversations. So do listen in. Um, it's, quite a, it's quite a quick little conversation, uh, but do listen in to Alec Lynch from Design Crowd
1: talking to Pete.
0: Alec, welcome and um, congratulations on joining the uh, EOY alumni group.
1: Thank you, Pete. Thanks for having me.
0: It's right, awesome. So, Design Crowd, this is something that oh, I love—the whole theory and ethos of uh, crowdsourcing for design work. We've done a whole bunch of design stuff in our various projects um, using, you know, your sort of platforms. And I also love your story too—kind of, you know, starting something part time, you know, leaving that environment, going home to live with your parents again, bootstrapping off credit cards. Um, which is where I think we should start and I don't want to tell your story I should let you tell your story do you want to kind of give everyone a bit of a, a background of how you started the uh, the website and the service and, and how it's grown?
1: yeah absolutely so a little bit of background about the genesis of design crowd and a little bit of background about myself also I studied programming and business uh, in Sydney at University of Technology here. And when I left uni, I started my first business with a friend from uni, Adam Marbellino, who's actually my co-founder at Design Crowd as well. Uh, our first business uh, failed really quickly. It failed in sort of nine months, and we, you know we were 20, 21. <laughs> we learned some really good lessons from that, uh, and then we went to go and get jobs. Um, and Adam went to work at IBM, and I went to work in strategy consulting at a company called. Booz Allen Hamilton or Booz & Co. And I was there for a couple of years and uh, learned a lot about uh, business while I was there. I was approaching the point in my career there where they would send me off to do an MBA uh, in the US and then come back. Um, But I actually... While I was there, had the idea for Design Crowd, and uh, ended up quitting that job. And as you said, sort of moving back home to start working on the business. Awesome. So, yeah. so,
0: before we get into sort of the genesis, of the idea, because I'd love to sort mm. of hear that story. Because I think you know the term, um, you know, crowdsourcing only kind of came into sort of the vocabulary probably twelve months prior to when you kind of kicked mm. this thing off. But mm. before we go down that path, can you tell a little bit about the project that failed? I love failures.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, it was basically we built online CRM software, it's web-based CRM software. We had uh, one client, a smallish business that had a sales team. And they needed a CRM solution, so uh, we built it. We built one for them that we felt would work at other businesses as well. And we plan was to license it to them. We would own the software, and we could sell it any elsewhere. So I guess SaaS. Yep. kind of model and this was in 03, 04 and um, yeah, we we spent nine months building it and, and we implemented it for them and they were using it and uh, they never, they ended up not paying us and um, we at that point said, okay, well, maybe we could sell it elsewhere and, and then when we at that point researched the market, we noticed that a little thing called Salesforce.com <laughs> existed. Yep. Um, and um, we concluded to sort of, you know, better to, to fold them sometimes and and kind of call it. Um, we had no capital and, and you know, we, we were very inexperienced. But um, uh, I guess the lessons we took from that, a few good lessons. Um, uh, one was sort of the importance of sort of researching your market, sizing the market, looking at the competitive landscape. Uh, second, like the importance of capital. We, we probably could have kept going if we had um, some capital. And then I suppose some um, other lessons uh, would include um, making sure you've got people around you that have skills that, that uh, you don't have um, uh, to, I guess – yeah, that are complementary to what you're good at. And, and I guess in that case, at that age, yeah, we didn't really have any uh, selling or marketing skills. And, and that probably would have been useful for, to help us get uh, in the door at other clients.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure, obviously, the importance of getting paid helps a little bit as well.
1: Yeah, that would be the fourth <laughs> lesson.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, so after that lesson, obviously, you kept sort of playing around in the, uh, the corporate space. And then, obviously, yeah, the, the genesis of the idea for Design Crowd came along. How did that come about?
1: So I'd been building websites and designing websites since I was in high school, sort of from the age of 13 or 14. And while I was at booze, uh, I was sort of looking to get back into that uh, area as a kind of a hobby. And uh, through the course of that, I noticed looking at the design industry that the traditional design industry seemed to have a number of problems. And I felt that these problems presented an opportunity. And basically, what I perceived was that there were some problems in kind of two buckets uh, within the industry. And the first set of problems, first bucket of problems uh, were for businesses buying design. And what I could see is that When a business went to buy design, let's say from a traditional design studio, that process was typically uh, a slow process. It could take weeks or months. Uh, Typically for uh, a business, it it can be an expensive uh, process Um, and then thirdly, uh, the process – has a lot of risk or uncertainty, so uh, there's no guarantee that you'll like what you get back from that creative process, going to just one designer or one studio, and if you don't like what you get back, well, you've spent a lot of time and a lot of money, and you need to spend more time and more money to fix um, Mm. the outcome and and get an outcome that you're happy with. Uh, Second set of problems I could see were actually for designers, and... I guess in a nutshell, uh, the problem is that there there's a huge amount of creative talent in the world that's that's qualified, um, that uh, and talented that can't find work, and there's this sort of chicken and the egg problem, where it's you, you need a job to get a portfolio, you need a portfolio to get a job, um, but but I guess just simply in Australia, for example, there are twenty thousand designers employed at traditional design studios, but. Uh, there's an estimate that 60,000 have graduated uh, but don't have employment. Mm. Um, and then you've got a heap of talented uh, designers in uh, emerging economies that, that live on, you know, $10 uh, a day, but they want to earn $10 an hour. And there's a lot of talented creative designers in, in Asia, in, in Europe, um, uh, in South America who are uh, you know, hungry for work and super talented, and so there's this this set of challenges for designers, whether you're in, um, you know, Sydney or uh, Melbourne or Mumbai, where um, you're looking for opportunity. And and so th- I guess to me that um, highlighted that there was an opportunity to fix these problems in the tr- with the design industry mm. um, through, and the dynamic was right for a marketplace. Um, If that marketplace could fix those problems uh, for both sides of the market.
0: Hmm. So I guess you could almost say, looking at what you just said there, that a lot of these designers have great technical skills, almost like you had back in your first project. Just don't have the sales and marketing to kind of get that talent out there to the marketplace.
1: Well, that that would be that's. Perhaps part of the the challenge, and I think often that's true uh, for designers. Like mm. their core competency is creating design work. It's not uh, promoting their business uh, via or, or themselves um, via you know Google AdWords or um, whatever means possible. Um, and part of what Design Crowd, I, I guess. What we aim to do, our mission for designers is is to give them opportunities to be creative uh, and uh, earn money, uh, but we're also letting them do that by focusing on their core competency and saying, rather than sell to clients, um, we just want you to design for clients, and, and that's how you win work on design crowd as a designer, by mm-hmm. uh, submitting designs, which is what they're good at.
0: Yeah, well, I guess for people who probably aren't familiar with the, the term crowdsourcing or even something like the design crowd marketplace, do you want to give a bit of context of how it actually works for, for both parties?
1: Sure. So firstly, just a general definition of crowdsourcing. It's basically a form of outsourcing and, and it involves typically outsourcing a task such as design or, or logo design, which is our specialty, um, to A large group of people, a crowd of people, if you will. Um, I guess the shorthand of that and the way we like to think of it is that uh, crowdsourcing is like outsourcing on steroids. Mm. Um, It can be used in certain situations, and uh, where it's used well, um, it gives some extra benefits over and above kind of regular outsourcing. And uh, in Design Crowd's case, here's how it works a business. Could be a small business, uh, could be an entrepreneur, it might be a web development company or a marketing agency uh, that needs some design work done, comes to our website and posts a project or a request um, outlining something that they need designed, for example, logo design, and offering an amount of money uh, uh, that they're willing to pay for that design. We then publish that project on our website and open it up to our. 400,000-odd designers who then begin creating the designs and uploading them to the website. And first designs typically get uploaded to the website within a few hours. And over the course of five to ten days, a typical project receives 25 to 50 to, in some cases, uh, over 100 different designs actual designs, not just quotes um, or bids from designers around the world. And the client can then provide feedback, get revisions, share those designs with uh, colleagues or their own clients or their friends um, to get their opinions and eventually select uh, the the best design from that pool, um, uh, which they can then download and use. Mm. So that that process, um, uh, you know, I guess going back to the problems that I could see in the design industry, it's it's faster than going to a traditional design studio. Uh, it's typically much cheaper um, and it's much more creative. Um, and ultimately, uh, well, just to elaborate on that, instead of going to one designer or one studio, you're going to many and you're asking uh, those designers, um, in most cases dozens of designers, To compete on creativity on your project and you get lots of ideas instead of just um, one or two Um, and on the designer side um, we're completely open so while we curate um, quality after the fact um, and um, we have minimum quality standards um, we uh, we're a meritocracy and we are giving opportunities to as I said, hundreds of thousands of designers from around the world that wouldn't otherwise get those opportunities.
0: Mm. I've found it fantastic in our various ventures and projects. We've used it for logo design for some e-commerce projects we've had, um, you know, uh, letterhead design. I've had uh, some self-published books cover design done. Like We've used it in pretty much almost every business unit or project or company that I've got an interest in, in some form or another. And it's been such a fantastic way for us to, to not only get you know, cost-effective design work done, as you, as you said there, but the beautiful thing is, is that you absolutely can. You put a project up, and you're getting 100, 110 different first drafts of the actual design and you can sit down and go, okay, out of those 100, there's probably 15 that I want to possibly develop. And you can reach out and talk back and forth with the designer to sort of, you know, mold one of those designs into the perfect outcome. And then obviously that person gets the prize pool or the money that I've put up at the start of the project. The, the, the one thing I want to talk about, though, a little bit, which, you know, I have my opinion on this, which I'm guessing is probably going to be very aligned with what your opinion is. But there is, I guess, some negativity in a certain space around crowdsourcing and what's referred to as spec work, i.e. you've now got 107 people who have invested an hour of their time to design up a logo, but of that 107, 106 of them are not going to get paid for that time. And I think there's a lot of people, or maybe a small percentage of people who might have a big voice, who kind of think that's not a fair system. What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, you're right. There are some quarters of... I Particularly the traditional design community, mm. who are vocal and, and critical of uh, the model or the, the generic vanilla crowdsourcing model, which is winner takes all, as you've outlined. We've actually tried to improve that vanilla crowdsourcing model on yep. Design Crowd to basically address some of those concerns um, and just to explain how Design Crowd works uh, I guess under the hood a little bit is that on, on a given project when someone offers, let's say, $400 we take that amount of money that the client is offering and we split it up into parts um, and the, there'll be a main payment for the designer who wins and sells the design but we'll also have small payments um, called participation payments which are given to uh, some of the designers that don't win. Now, not all of them uh, will get a payment, um, but uh, the purpose of those payments is to act as somewhat of a safety net, if you will, for those designers um, that don't win to cover some of their time um, or all of their time in some cases. And I guess the use case uh, and and how attractive those payments are will depend on if you're in Australia or in an emerging economy, um, and, and those payments as background are $15, $25, or $50, which might cover an hour of time if you're in Australia or uh, if you're uh, in uh, an emerging economy, that, that's sort of a daily wage. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing we've done at Design Crowd. No other crowdsourcing site has uh, done that. The second thing that, that we've done is uh, we've actually launched a sister marketplace to Design Crowd called Brand Crowd. Um, and Brand Crowd lets designers sell uh, unused designs from Design Crowd that they've submitted or, or from their own portfolio uh, in, I guess, an aftermarket kind of off the shelf as templates with a fixed price. And, and we think that also helps um, the designers uh, monetize their, uh, their effort, um, even if they don't win on that uh, initial project. I would say kind of m- more broadly that um, a lot of designers uh, use the our platform at least as uh, somewhat of a, a marketing tool for themselves and as I said earlier, designers, especially when they're freelancing or starting, even starting their own business, have a choice um, about how to market themselves and they could um, submit quotes and bids and proposals and uh, have a website and um, you know, pay for advertising to direct traffic to that website. Or they could use their time and, and use their core skill set, their core competency of creating designs to promote themselves. And a lot of designers use our platform as lead gen and mm. um, after – winning a project or even if they don't, they're trying to establish a relationship with a client and win kind of ongoing work, which we try and facilitate uh, as well. But um, in some, some designers through our website have built up a book of uh, over a hundred different businesses that they now uh, deal with. So I guess the answer is, um, yeah, I think the vanilla crowdsourcing model um, isn't perfect. Um, And yeah, we've, We'd like to think that we've um, improved that model. I think it's going to keep evolving and, and improving. Um, but uh, I would say, in, in a nutshell, um, there—even the vanilla model—you know, there are a number of reasons why designers would be using that platform. And, and um, there are so many designers in the world that don't have any work, and this is a really important tool and way for them to um get paid work that they wouldn't otherwise get
0: yeah I, I couldn't agree more and I think those two initiatives are, are really smart because you know I think to a certain extent particularly designers who might be just starting out if they kind of you know bid or you know do some spec work or, or do some designs for for three jobs and, and, and don't get anything in return it's almost that sort of three strikes and they're out of that um, community type approach so by keeping them engaged with sort of participation rewards and payments i think it's a really smart move on your behalf to kind of keep the uh the you know environment or ecology you're kind of building there um, to continue to grow and it's, it's fantastic and then you know one of the biggest things with with every business is there's so much um, sawdust lying on the ground that people aren't monetizing. Mm-hmm. And by having that second marketplace, that aftermarket marketplace where they can sort of go and then resell those designs with small edits and tweaks. I think that's a really smart way for not only you guys to have a, a another path to market and, and monetization strategy, but more importantly, supporting your community. So they have that uh, way to sell the sawdust that's left on the, um, the cutting room floor
1: yeah agreed uh, love the sawdust analogy um, uh, and that that's exactly right like those unused designs they're you know the copyright is retained by the designers and and you know we see them as their assets for the designers and and also you know for design crowd and and um it's a you know completely makes sense to um yeah i guess try and resell and um Help those designers extract value from their good ideas.
0: Mm. So, so, speaking of good ideas, perfect segue there into your perfect idea. So, obviously, we've now established what, what you do, and I hope some of the listeners go and, and see how they can apply this to their next design project and actually get some uh, amazing results at a much more cost effective fashion. But what about you growing? Because obviously, you had the idea, you've built the platform, and this was sort of all off some credit cards and some some funds from friends while you're living back at home with your folks. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's true. So, the, the, that's where the business started. It was uh, sort of bootstrapped originally by myself and we've basically had three kind of phases uh, of growth, I guess, and uh, each phase has, has roughly been two years and, and the first phase was bootstrapped. Uh, and so, uh, I started and, and ran the business from my mum's house for two years um, and started with 10 grand of savings and three credit cards, maxed those out really quickly. Um, and the first thing we did as background was uh, to crowdsource our own logo and get our initial designers. And then after that, and offered an amount of money to, to do that. And after that, um, focused on winning small businesses um, uh, and customers that needed design work done. And I uh, found that designers tended to kind of hear about the model and, and kind of follow and join up uh, as we added more and more projects and opportunities um, to the site. And uh, in the first, yeah, sorry. I was
0: going to dive in because I think there's two mm. really key things you did there that I want to actually uh, uncover a little bit more because the interesting thing with creating a marketplace like you have unlike an e-commerce project or an e-commerce business where you go to a supplier or a manufacturer who has you know a inventory that they want to get rid of and then you turn around and just find the end consumer you've had to go and build both sides of the platform you have to go out there and find mm. the designers and you've got to find the clients who are going to use those designers it's always that chicken and egg approach of what comes first and i th- i would look from the outside going that's a very hard thing to build is how do you get the designers to Engage with the platform uh, enough, so then when a, a small business comes along to say, "Look, I need a logo done," they're actually going to get quality work and a quantity of work that satisfies the need of the small business. Like, how does that physically happen? What were some of the things you actually did to make that happen?
1: Yeah, it's. I would say overall, you, you're correct, and it's it's basically a balance, um, and it's it's been a little bit of a juggling act, I guess, over the last. Um, number of years um, to make sure both sides of the marketplace grow together. We actually, internally, we have an analogy, which is that we see our marketplace as being uh, like a stool with three legs and one leg are the designers, sellers, and one leg are the customers, small businesses that are buying design. And the third leg of the stool is sort of the the process, um, mm-hmm. how that process scales and works, the infrastructure and the site itself. And basically, uh, the concept is that each leg of the stool needs to grow roughly in, in at the same rate in unison um, uh, for the marketplace to grow. And if one leg doesn't work or grow with the others, the marketplace can fall over and won't work that well. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, though, we have basically found that um, focusing on growing the customer leg of the stool, uh, the designer leg kind of follows. And you can have that in some marketplaces just sort of have that um, dynamic. Um, and it's, it, you want to kind of ideally, I think, find that. Um, mm. at, at also, ideally, if, you, know, you want this sort of network effect, uh, in, a, in a marketplace business where as you're acquiring new customers or if you're acquiring inventory, that that also helps um, uh, grow the marketplace. Yeah. And, and, and at our end, the dynamic is as you acquire a new customer, they uh, post a brief on your website and and then designers upload 100 different designs and that creates content um, and that content... Um, uh, attracts, you know, new designers. It attracts uh, new customers as well, and it, there's a nice natural viral loop dynamic that mm. occurs.
0: So, so that makes all beautiful sense, and I think the analogy is fantastic. But I'm going like, to dig a bit deeper and kind of trying to get some more gold out of you it here. It's like, what were the actions you took? Because obviously, you could have potentially, and I don't know what you did, is going out and sort of, you know, pay designers on a platform like Elant or Odesk potentially to sort of. Do all the designs that in a, in a non spec way to kind of build that demand. I know, you know, when reddit.com started, uh, the owners of that platform actually started creating fake accounts and talking them between themselves to kind of um, generate a uh, or manufacture a community there. Now, I, I doubt you did that. I'm not implying you did that. But, you know, how do you go out and find these designers? We going to, you know, um, were you advertising on banner ads on other design websites? Were you trying to filter into a forum and pull people out of there? Like how do you actually get the word out to get the designers to, a, to be aware of this new platform?
1: Yeah, so the first thing in the first instance, um, what we did was actually target designers who were studying or graduating. Um, so when we were crowdsourcing our own logo, we actually handed out had flyers handed out and put up posters at design colleges in Australia and the U S.
0: Nice.
1: Um, yeah. So I had some friends, um, uh, at, at studying in the U S who did that for me. And, you know, we would hand out flyers at, at like UTS and, and college of Fine Arts, uh, here in Sydney. And, uh, that helped us get our initial designers. We also targeted just a handful of designers online directly. um, uh, to acquire them but uh, after that we as i said we we've barely needed to continue doing that that side of the marketplace mm. has has just really grown and i suppose they've you know they might google things like freelance design or Uh, graphic design jobs and as a result find our website and sign up I I think there's also a word of mouth um, component and I mean even now we would sign up like 5,000 to 10,000 new designer accounts a month but we don't have a marketing budget Mm. Um, and so they just naturally find us. Well
0: it's a beautiful thing with a platform like this because it's such a a wonderful thing it naturally gets spoken about at design events and at conferences and, and that sort of stuff because it is that perfect platform for a, uh, a beginner designer or, or a brand new freelancer designer kind of leaving the, the corporate world to kind of build that portfolio and get some runs on the board early. So that's really cool. It's always just how do you manufacture that tipping point is always an interesting conversation to have with entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, well, it probably took um, a couple of years for us to really generate um, more than two years. So um, I guess going back to the kind of the different growth phases we've had. Um, it was really once we took investment and, and started promoting the business more and, and getting some scale a couple of years in that we started to get uh, a better word-of-mouth dynamic on the customer side as mm-hmm. well. And probably today uh, about 40% of our business uh, comes from from word-of-mouth.
0: Awesome. So, so you took that um, angel investment. So I guess two questions. How was the uh, process of going through an angel investing phase. And then what did you spend the money on? Because at that point, you were still working out of your mum's uh, second bedroom or something. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the dining room table. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, about a year and a half in, I actually, to, to bootstrapping and running the business from home, I started getting approaches from angel investors who often had portfolio companies or their own business and had used the platform. And uh, loved it, and, and kind of wanted to invest. And um, they basically introduced me to the concept of angel investing. There was one in particular who, from Europe, had used the website, and he set up a call with me. And he, you know, he said, "What would you do with two hundred thousand euros?" And when I put my mind to that, I, I realised that capital was exactly what the business. Uh, needed. And um, I created a plan uh, for $300,000 and started looking locally in Australia for angel investors. And the process, you know, I tried a number of different things. I uh, did sort of Dragon's Den style pitches through angel networks. Um, I put proposals up online through uh uh, angel investing websites, had a whole heap of coffee pitches. The whole process from kicking it off to completing took me about nine months. Um, and uh, what I ended up doing was um, getting a number of different angels for actually to come together and, and invest uh, as a group um, and you know that process was sort of like I had a, a, a motorbike um, that had like a really it was a really small motorbike cost about $3,000 and I used to like ride out to from where I lived to, to Manly and it would take like 45 minutes, pitch over coffee and then ride back and try and run the business <laughs> um, and uh, yeah it took nine months and then it, basically in late 2009, which was sort of two years into the business, uh, they invested $300,000 uh, into the business, and we used that funding to get our first office. At that point, my co-founder, Adam, joined the business full-time. Uh, we got our first employee. Uh, we used in- interns, like profusely, um, <laughs> uh, and started marketing the business more and um, online and uh, in particular and a little bit outside, more and more outside of Australia. And over the course of kind of two years with that funding and also input from the angels who functioned as our board during that period, Mm. we were able to grow the business, you know, 13, 14-fold from where it was. Um, And we were able to start making more sales outside of Australia. Probably at the end of that period, Australia was still our largest single source of sales, but we're making more and more sales in the US and the UK, etc. Well, and it validated for us that the opportunity was a global one.
0: Absolutely. Where's the, the, the biggest marketplace now? Where, where's Australia sit?
1: Sure. So, our biggest source of sales today is now the US, and that constitutes over 40% of our sales. Um, Australia is... Second, still twenty five percent of our revenues still come from Australia, uh, but you know the business now seventy five percent, the majority of customers and revenues come from outside of Australia, um, and you know we're proud of that, but we also think it represent reflects like a, uh, a great opportunity for us to grow the business further. You know, outside of Australia, Australia is probably the the. 14th or 15th largest market in the world uh, for what we do. Um, so and for us it's our second largest source of sales and that's probably natural given you know that we started here and where we are in our life cycle but we're optimistic we can grow a lot more in the US or and the UK and Canada and, and uh, many other countries in the world.
0: Awesome, very exciting. Now, obviously, we could spend probably hours talking about angel investing and and the process for entrepreneur, but two quick questions if you can kind of give a couple of short answers is the nine-month period, what um, took the longest in that period to convince people to invest in a web startup, to convince people to invest in the platform, to convince them that you were the right entrepreneur, to convince them that the valuation was accurate? What was sort of the, 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 the biggest thing there?
1: I think the longest time um, was to convince the first angel to Mm. commit. And once I'd got one across the line, then they kind of fell like dominoes.
0: They're all sheep, aren't they, these angel investors?
1: (laughs) Well, I I mean, uh, perhaps investors in in general are. So, you know, they don't want – people don't want to – Miss out on a deal, and, and social proof is important. So if someone Absolutely. else is uh, in on the deal and they respect that person, it, it helps validate uh, the deal. So yeah, I'm I'm grateful that the those angel investors all invested, and and you know that the first one said yes and signed up. So yeah.
0: And the second question I have is just around what was the biggest surprise for you in terms of the angel investing process, whether it was in the fundraising stage or the involvement of the, the angels afterwards or how much more they brought to the table beyond actual money? Like, yeah, what was the biggest surprise uh, yeah.
1: that you, you yeah, found? Yeah, it would be that. I think that uh, not having had a board or uh, investors previously, that I probably primarily was, was seeking the capital. Yeah. But I was – and lucky for me, like I raised from experienced angels and entrepreneurs who were smart money and have added a lot of value uh, since. And um, yeah, that was, the, that's, that was I guess a bonus really and, and um, continues to be a really good thing for the business.
0: Oh, very cool. And obviously, you've grown exponentially since that three hundred grand. you have gone on and got another round. This is the third phase you've been through?
1: Yeah. So at the end of that two-year period with the Angels, we raised some venture capital. We, in late 2009, raised $3 million from Starfish Ventures, who are one of the largest Australian VCs. And um, we've used that funding to uh, you know grow the business dramatically we've grown the team from three people to about 30 uh, we've you know expanded internationally as I mentioned before uh, dramatically we've grown revenues about sixfold in the last um, two and a half years uh, you know we've made a couple of three small acquisitions um, we've set up an office this year in uh, the Philippines and uh, also a small presence in the U.S. where we now have three staff in San Francisco. And uh, Late last year, we we raised an additional $3 million from Starfish, so it's taken our total funding to to $6 million and that latest $3 million has helped us in particular with our growth in in the U.S. and, and setting up operations there.
0: That's fantastic, mate. That's awesome. And then, obviously, the uh, the, the icing on the cake almost is the uh, Ernst Young Eoy uh, was it Eastern Region uh, Emerging Category winner. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's that's right. So that, from a personal perspective, that's a, a nice uh, milestone and and yeah, feather in the cap. And, but also reflects how well the business has done, how well uh, the team has done, and. Uh, Yeah, and, um, uh, you know, all the effort from, you know, even the angel investors and, and of course, my co-founder, Adam.
0: Absolutely. And you found the program fantastic so far?
1: Yeah, it's been great. So it's still kind of going. I have uh, the nationals uh, coming up soon, which is exciting. That's uh, in October. Um, So, yeah, the eastern region is sort of – Sydney, New South Wales, um, within Australia, and I'm on the under 35s category. In the nationals, um, you compete with entrepreneurs from other regions. And uh, I have another stable mate, if you will, from uh, another company in in Melbourne, Victoria, uh, Sam Chandler, who runs a business called Nitro and is an awesome entrepreneur. So he he won that region and they're actually – uh, starfish portfolio company uh, as well uh, so the internal joke is we're like the the Williams sisters nice they need to pick one to support
0: I love it mate well uh, you know congratulations you've built such a fantastic business uh, and also no doubt helped so many other um, startup entrepreneurs ie designers actually uh be able to be profitable and build a business and stuff too, which is a fantastic byproduct from what you're doing as well. Which is not, you know, by any means the core focus of the business, but you are actually helping uh, other entrepreneurs and, and increasing entrepreneurship around the globe.
1: Yeah, thank you. It can be easy to lose sight of that, but you know, when we see our top designer hits just hit five hundred thousand dollars in earnings, and you know, he sent champagne and flowers to a number of. Team members in our office, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's the site does have like an amazing impact on individuals' lives around the world, and and um, yeah, it's really nice to have that that purpose, I guess, for existing as well.
0: Absolutely. So, for those who who have listened and not only been inspired by your story, but also who are thinking like, "Do you know what? I'm going to get an next logo designed, or or letterhead designed, or or t shirt, or website designed using Design Crowd." What's a couple of quick tips they should sort of do to, to maximize the results they actually get for their, their time, effort, and, and investment on the platform?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, I would have a, a few different tips. I guess the first would be uh, that when Making the request um, for whatever it is that you need designed to put some put some time and uh, effort into writing the brief um, and communicating uh, what it is you want from the designers. And uh, you can write a simple brief on the site if you if you want to keep it short and just keep it really open. But if you can add extra detail, uh, and there are different extras you can add to the brief. Um, uh, that's really helpful for designers. I would say, secondly, uh, also on the topic of communication, that just like in the real world, if you're working with a designer in person, um, doing it online and through design crowd, you want to give feedback to the designers um, uh, once that they start providing you with designs. Uh, they it's just considered generally kind of good etiquette, but it, it really does get a much Better result from the the process, and it's it's almost a, a must um, for getting a great outcome. Um, and then in terms of uh, what amount of money to offer, sometimes people are like, "Oh, I don't know, should I offer more? Should I offer less?" And um, my my guidance is to to ideally be generous, but you want to offer an amount of money that you're happy to pay. Um, and at any point of time, if you, if you want to get more designers or better designers on board, you can increase your budget uh, later on down the track. Um, so, they would be the three main tips I would give for people looking to crowdsource in general. And I guess the, the fourth tip would be, you know, use design crowd.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Alex Lynch, thank you so much for your time.
1: Welcome, Pete. Pleasure.
2: Hopefully, you folks got as much value from that as I certainly did. Again, pages of notes, um, Pete. I picked up on, on some really interesting observations that uh, Alec made there about the whole kind of growth of the business. But one of the ones that I loved was right up front. You know, you asked him about the failure, and uh, it was it was quite funny. I had to giggle to myself, but it's such a truism mm. that. One of the biggest reasons for his initial failure was that they just flat out didn't look around. They were so busy doing what they thought was the thing to do. They didn't <laughs> pick their heads up and look around. He said, What did he say? A little company called Salesforce. Yep. <laughs> thought that was awesome. So, again, full of lessons, full of stuff. And he, and he really is tapping a, a growing need. I mean, you said yourself, we, you, you've used Design Crowd for your Ear Hero Sport project. And these crowdfunding platforms are a great idea. Because I do address those problems that people have. I personally do. You know, he talked about companies buying design um, and your issues he got there with. It can be slow. It can definitely be expensive, and it can pretty much always be risky. Um, so those those platforms are great. But twisting on its head, um, something that I pulled out of this for our audience was what he talked about, and you you really highlighted well was that what a great opportunity these crowdsourcing platforms are. For you to build a portfolio with real customer briefs, mm. maybe you don't make it through to the selection. Maybe you don't do, you know, you don't win that contract the first few times. But boy, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get some real briefs from real clients, and you're gonna get real feedback as well. Mm. Um, and that's invaluable when you're just starting out.
0: Absolutely, so that was
2: a really good point as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, hopefully, people get a lot of uh, value from that, whether they are going to use the platform or going to just learn some of Alex's lessons to grow their own business. But uh, you know, as you do grow your own business, make sure you check out sevenleversreport.com. It is the framework that we build all our businesses and projects and consulting stuff around. So if you haven't read the Seven Levers Report, it covers you know the seven 10% wins you need to double the profit of your business. So we really encourage you to head over there and check that one out. And I said at the start of the show, any feedback is great feedback. We would love to hear not only your thoughts about this show, the show in general, but also of the 150 episodes we've had. What's been the one that's been the most impactful for you? Please let us know. Leave a comment on the blog. Leave a comment on iTunes or your podcasting platform. We really do read them all. We do reply as best we can, and we'd love to hear what your favorite show out of the 150 has been.
2: Thanks for uh, putting up with us for 150 episodes, especially my croaky voice on this special one. And uh, we will see you back, hopefully on full form, in the next show been enjoying another fine episode
0: of PrinterCast cast with pete williams and dom gocher make sure to hang out with the boys online at www.printermarketing.com or drop them a line via PrinterCast at
2: printergroup.com